This is episode number 56 of the Fearless Presentations podcast, the fastest, easiest way to eliminate public speaking fear. Want to absolutely eliminate public speaking fear? This podcast is the answer. Here's the guy who literally wrote the book on Fearless Presentations, Doug Stannard. Hello, welcome to the Fearless Presentations podcast brought to you by the Leaders Institute and fearlesspresentations.com. I'm your host, Doug Stannard, president of the Leaders Institute. And this is the podcast that really helps people just like you get rid of public speaking fear and increase your success by increasing your confidence when you communicate. This is episode number 56. And in this episode, we're going to spend a little time discussing some of those presentations habits that a lot of people do to feel more comfortable when they speak, but these things actually cause more nervousness. So I would highly suggest that you avoid these habits at all costs if you want to feel more comfortable or confident as a speaker. This podcast is brought to you by fearlesspresentations.com. If you have questions or comments, visit the show notes on fearlesspresentations.com. There should be a link to the show notes in the podcast description. And if you don't have access to the podcast description on your on your uh, service, then just go to fearlesspresentations.com, type in the word seven presentation habits that actually cause fear, and put that anywhere in, in the search bar on the on any of the pages on Fearless Presentations, and it'll take you right to this podcast. On each of the podcast note pages, we give a ton of additional detail about the subjects that we cover. And so, and there's also a little area in the bottom of the page for comments or questions. So you can also tweet me at, at FP class. So that's at the, the at symbol and then FP for fearless presentations class at FP class. Also check out the fearless presentations channel on YouTube for additional free tips. We've got lots of cool stuff going out on that all the time. Um, we've got classes coming up in Denver, Minneapolis, Milwaukee, Charlotte, San Francisco, Baltimore, Houston, Las Vegas. In the middle of, of November, we also have classes in Dublin, um, Dublin, Ireland, and London, England. And then the next few weeks, we're, we've got classes coming up in Tampa, Phoenix, Detroit, Atlanta, Indianapolis, Seattle, and New York. So all that is before the end of the year. So go to fearlesspresentations.com to register for a class because we only allow a maximum of 10 people per class in each one. So once a class fills up, we have to close the registration. So let's get on with today's podcast. So welcome back. So on this session, we're going to cover seven presentation habits that actually cause you to become a more nervous speaker. And I know we cover a lot of topics on the Fearless Presentations podcast and on on uh, webinars and that kind of thing. And I wanted to get back to some of the, just a few of the basic things that people ask us about. When folks kind of find out that I'm a public speaking coach, they say, oh my gosh, I get so nervous speaking in front of a group. What are some things that I can do to reduce my nervousness? And one of the things I always kind of start with is I, I usually ask people, well, what are you doing now? Because sometimes the things, things that you're doing now that you're doing to help reduce your public speaking fear will actually cause more public speaking fear. So let's kind of get right into this. These are seven things that you might be doing right now that will actually cause more public speaking fear if you're, if you're doing them. So a lot of times folks will kind of use these as crutches 
to make you feel more com- make themselves feel more comfortable, but in reality, they can actually make you feel more nervous. So these are the seven things, and I'll, I'm going to cover them just very quickly in an outline, and then we'll go back and cover each one in a little bit more detail. So. First thing that people do that cause that can actually cause more nervousness is writing your presentation word for word, um, and which once we kind of explain a little bit, I'll, I'll kind of show you why that's a really, really, really bad idea. Another mistake that people will sometimes make is that they design their PowerPoint slideshow or other visual aids, but most of the time in today's world, it's going to be PowerPoint. But they design that first; they design that before they actually figure out what they're going to say. Thirdly, people will rely on notes. You know, so they, we, we think we're going to feel more comfortable if we have notes that we can rely on. In reality, that can be a big, big, big mistake. Asking criticism or asking for critiques from friends or co-workers, um, a lot of times they will tell you, you know, ways that you can improve, but that, that can actually make us feel more nervous in a lot of situations. Practicing alone, practicing in front of a mirror, or, or worse, the sixth one is videoing, your, you know, videotaping or video, making a video of your presentation and then reviewing it all by yourself. And then finally, there's a psychological term called cognitive cognitive dissonance, which we'll kind of explain. So let's go through these one at once. So if you eliminate these bad public speaking habits, you'll reduce your stage fright pretty dramatically. So let's go to the very first one, writing your presentation word for word. So one of the biggest and really, I I would say most common mistakes that presenters will make is writing out their entire presentation word for word. Most of us learn this technique in in middle school or high school. You know, for instance, our teachers will ask us to write a report or a paper, and then later we might be asked to present that paper to the class as an oral report. So we're asked to turn in our paper first and then asked to give a presentation. And so it's, it's kind of training us that in order to give a presentation, you first have to write that thing out longhand. A lot of times teachers actually believe that this is actually a good way to help the student because if they can clarify their thoughts, they're going to present it in a more effective way. But in reality, if, if what tends to happen is the, the person who's up speaking in front of a group will either try to read the presentation word for word or try to memorize the presentation. Both of those things can be very detrimental, to not only to their confidence, but also to the the delivery and the style that they use. So, okay, so first of all, when people read a presentation, it will often sound very 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 boring. Think about the last state of the union speech that you heard, even if it's a president that you like by the way. And when was the last time that you were you were kind of watching that state of the union speech going, "Oh man, that's a great speech," right? Ooh, I can't wait to hear more. In reality, most of the time even with all the applause and the fake applause and all that kind of stuff, it's still, you know, it's just kind of boring, right? So most people don't think of State of the Union addresses as being fantastic speeches. Um, another mistake that people will make, uh, because these presentations can often become incredibly boring, is that they'll try to um, memorize the entire speech. So so I, I know when I say this, if, if I read this, it's going to sound really boring. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to memorize this thing. That's going to make me sound better, right? Which doesn't even make sense. That didn't make sense because you're saying the same thing that you would have said if you were actually reading the speech, but in reality, you're, if you lose your train of thought or you lose your place, you're going to increase your nervousness pretty dramatically. So a better way to design a speech or to deliver a speech is to write out, write, to write out your presentation um, in, in kind of a, an outline format. So identify just the most important things that the audience needs to know about your, about your 
content, the, the, the title, the topic that you're presenting on, then just create an outline of that event. And, and by the way, if you want a very thorough description of how to do this, make sure and go back to podcast three, which is how to design presentations quickly. And you'll, you'll find some great details on actually how to do that. So much, 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 much better way than trying to write out your speech word for word. All right. So the second big mistake that people will make is that they will start to design their PowerPoint slideshow first. They'll, they'll design their visual aids before they actually even figured out what they're going to say. So if you've read any of my blog posts or if you've listened to any of the podcasts in the past, you'll know that I mentioned this particular thing a lot. This is what the absolute biggest mistake that, that almost everyone, myself included, will make on occasion. We'll commit this on, on occasion. So we start the preparation by creating the slideshow or other some other kind of visual aid, whatever visual aid that you're using. And this part of the preparation typically takes the longest to complete. So as a result, we we tend to want to start early so that we don't so that we don't lose time or we don't uh, we don't miss out on this part, right? So, but one of the things that I've kind of figured out is that you will save yourself a tremendous amount of time and a tremendous amount of stress if you figure out what you want to say first and then prepare your visual aids. Get a really good once you get that really good presentation, design those visual aids that will help you explain the content better or help you clarify the content. Um, I'll give you a good example. A few years ago, I was called in to help a team of engineers practice a, a group presentation to one of their big clients. And the vice president of the engineering firm, along with the head of the marketing department and and probably one or two other people, but they, they made a PowerPoint deck for the entire group. So it's five speakers and, and typically two or three people were, were actually made this um, this slide deck. So they created the slide deck by receiving input from the other four presenters. And, and so the other four presenters actually gave them information and said, hey, you know, this is what I want to include in my slide deck. However, the four presenters weren't, they weren't really intricately involved in the creation process. So basically, I arrived in the meeting room to help coach this this group presentation, and the presenters were really confused. And, and by the time I even got there, they were already kind of irritated at each other or irritated at the process because nobody really knew what each person was supposed to say or how they were supposed to say it or what specific slides meant. Uh, so they were basically what they were doing is they were trying to adapt what they wanted to say to what was on the screen. So the screen was already there. The, the slideshow was already there, and they were trying to say, okay, what can I say about this particular slide? Well, so to, to be blunt, it was really, really, really boring, by the way. So the four speakers, had they had very little control over the slideshow. The, the ones that had very little control of the slideshow, anyway, they were they were just really nervous. So luckily, I'd seen this challenge before. So I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd seen this particular thing happen. So I had each one of the presenters just disregard the slideshow at the very beginning, just temporarily, and I had them redesign their actual speaking part. And then we spent an hour or so just recreating the speech from scratch, and it, which, by the way, was a whole lot less time than what the, the, the group had presented or had spent creating that slideshow. And so all total, that whole process took less than a half a day, you know, maybe three hours at the most. And, and then as they got comfortable with that, that presentation, as they started delivering the speech without any visual aids, by the way, they were just doing it from the top of their head. 
they started feeling really much more comfortable. And then finally, as a la- at the last, at the ending stage, we, we redesigned the visual, ed- the visual aids to help each one of the presenters better explain the content that they had just created. It was much faster, much easier, took less than a day to do the whole thing from start to finish. In fact, I would say probably it was more along the lines of four or five hours tops. And, um, and then what was interesting was that when, the, when we got to the visual aid part, a few of the presenters actually, a couple of, one of them anyway, chose to not do any visual aids whatsoever. Just wasn't applicable to the type of presentation that, that he was giving. And a couple of them decided to do things other than PowerPoint as their visual aids. So they used props and posters and stuff like that. And it, it, just, it just turned out to be a much more interesting presentation because they created the presentation first and then created the, the visuals afterwards. So, so if, if you want to be more comfortable presenting in front of a group, design your presentation first, then figure out what visual aids that you want to use to help better explain that content. All right, the third big mistake that people will make is that they rely too heavily on notes, or in fact, a lot of times it's just because they rely on notes in the first place. One of the things that that, um, that I, I sometimes kind of start a public speaking class with is I'll say something like, so I am so nervous, I'm really, really afraid that I will forget something, so I should make some notes for myself, said pretty much everyone who has ever given a small a formal speech. I mean that's kind of a that's kind of a quote that a lot of us can relate to. Here's the big thing that you need to know about notes though. Notes are not your friend. Notes will hurt you more than they will help you. When when people make mistake number 1 above. So when when they when they try to write out their presentation word for word, they're afraid that they're going to forget something. So as a result, they will they will try to make notes for themselves, especially if they're trying to memorize the entire speech. They'll want to they'll they feel like they're going to feel more comfortable if they if they jot down a few notes. In reality, though, the way that most people will try to ease the tension by by making those notes will actually cause more nervousness, not less nervousness. It almost always will make the speaker feel more nervous. Uh, it's, it, and, and, it, and I'll kind of explain why. So when, when our eyes move down from, the, from making eye contact with the, with the audience down to a piece of paper and notes, a couple things will happen. Number one is you immediately lose connection with your audience. And that visual feedback from your audience is really, really important part of the communication process. So when we say something that the audience agrees with, we receive like subtle cues from them. They're going to give you a slight nod. They're going to nod their head. And, and that tells us that we're the, in, the audience is in sync with us. They're understanding what we're saying. When we read from a presentation, though, we're constantly looking away from the audience. So we lose that connection with them. When we look back up, we don't see any of those subtle positive cues anymore. Uh, and, and in fact, that lack of comfort will slowly or in a lot of cases quickly grow. So we're, since we're not getting that, that those, those subtle positive cues where there's more of a disconnect with the audience, all of a sudden we start to feel a little bit more uncomfortable, which makes us want to rely back down to our notes. And now the audience is looking at the top of our head. And then when we feel like we can make contact with the eye, with the eye contact with the audience again, we kind of look up. So all And that happens over and over and over again. And the more of that discomfort that we feel, the more likely we are going to keep referring back to our notes over and over and over again because that's where we feel more comfortable. 
So, um, so even and by the way, even if you don't have something as dramatic as that happen, you still will most likely have some type of negative consequence. Um, a, a good example of this is is what happens sometimes in our presentation skills classes. Now we show the presenters how to really build confidence speaking without ever having to rely on notes. But some people, they don't have to rely on notes at all. You know, so somebody that goes through the two-day fearless presentations class should be really, really comfortable giving an entire presentation from start to finish without any notes whatsoever because we show them the step-by-step process to help, help them get to that point. Um, but still, you know, some people have been relying on notes for so long that it's a hard, hard, hard habit to break. And from time to time, in fact, I'll give you a good example. This is just last Friday. This is just a few days ago. I was teaching a class, and one of my class members did this. Now, of course, this speaker, she started out really strong. And the moment that she finished her current thought, though, instead of mentally processing the, okay, what am I going to say next internally, and, and going and just kind of moving on to the next part of her presentation like we taught her to do in the class, she she had notes in front of her, so she kind of quickly glanced down. Now, during that split second that she glances down, she's already remembered what she was going to say anyway. So she didn't really have to rely on the notes, but because she's kind of losing that eye contact, that, that subtle thing that we were talking about before occurs, she's kind of losing that eye contact with the audience, and it's making her a little bit more nervous that um, as soon as that nervousness started to grow again, it, it became kind of like the, the, remember that bird back when I was a kid, there was a little bird on the edge of a, of a glass that would kind of dip his beak into water. It was some kind of science uh, toy or something like that. But, but, the, the, but the bird would just kind of bob its beak into the, into the, the uh, water glass. And that's kind of what, what people look like when, they're, when they have notes. It, they don't really need them. We don't really need them. But, you know, we kind of glance down. We're not even reading it. We don't even, by the time we get our eyes get to the, the paper, we've already remembered what we want to say. And so it's constantly, we're creating that constant um, disconnect with the audience, though. And, it, and even though it's not huge, it, it, it just makes the presentation much harder. So the good news is, is that if you just design your presentation better and, and design a little bit better visual aids, you don't need notes. In fact, just follow some of the instructions that we're giving you on the podcast and in, and in our presentation skills classes and on the, the blog posts that we do. Just follow a few of those things and it'll make it to where you shouldn't have to rely on notes at all. So, so the next habit that will sometimes actually cause nervousness, not take it away, is asking for critiques from friends, coworkers, significant others, whatever it is. Uh, one of the things I, I like to say in class is just about everything you've ever learned about public speaking is wrong. And the first time I ever said that to a public speaking class, I, I, I really felt nervous about how the group was really going to react to it. It was kind of a spur of the moment type thing, but it, it I knew it was accurate, but I didn't know really how the audience was going to react. I was afraid that they were going to see me as being arrogant. You know, oh, so you're the expert and everybody else is wrong, right? Well, as a matter of fact, yeah. As a matter of fact, by the way, I mean, I wouldn't say that everyone or everything is wrong. It's just you know, everything you've ever learned. You know, all those big, all those things that people tell us, those little tips and tricks that people tell us, typically don't really work very well. So, like for instance, most people are taught to write out their presentation word for word. We've already said that's, and then memorize it. We've already said that's not a really good idea at all. Um, most people are taught that a slideshow is this is um, 
is uh, should be uh, used as the speech itself, not a visual aid for the speech. You know, some people are taught to really slow down their delivery. Um, they're taught to practice over and over and over and over again in front of a mirror or something like that. All of those things are they're they're. Uh, <laughs> They're challenged. They're they're going to create more nervousness. They're going to create more challenges for us. And so, um, I the, so the 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 thought process of doing the exact opposite of what most people do when they prepare typically will make you a much better speaker than than what you might expect anyway. So, when we ask well-meaning friends, coworkers, significant others for feedback. They're often going to give us advice that doesn't actually work. So they'll actually give us advice like some of these things that we talked about that just doesn't work. And in fact, if you ask two people for advice, you might actually, you might actually get contradictory advice from each one of them. Each, pe- each person that, that, uh, that is out there that becomes a speaker or that speaks on occasion anyway has specific strengths in communication. And then every speaker has weaknesses as well. So your strengths and your coworkers' strengths are they may be a little different, you know. So the the things that you're really good at and the things that your coworkers are really good at may be different. So your weaknesses may be different as well. So um, I, so a good example is this: was what what if a if a really high energy enthusiastic presenter um, is trying to coach somebody that's more low key and detailed? So if 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 I'm the low-key, detail-oriented type person and I ask my coworker who is high energy and enthusiastic, hey, what do I need to do to be- become a better speaker? They're going to say, man, you got to kick it up a notch. you got to have some more enthusiasm, have some energy, cut out on some of those details. So basically it would be taking away the the thing that I'm really good at and replacing it with my biggest weakness. And that usually is a really bit, really bad idea. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, people come to our public speaking classes, the two-day public speaking classes, is because um, what our instructors do is something that's a little bit different. We help people identify what they're really good at, what their strengths are, and help them extenuate or, or maximize that strength, right? And then also reduce the, the weaknesses along the way. So, and it typically works pretty well. So take advice from other people with a grain of salt. Sometimes they're going to give you advice that may not be the most effective for you. All right, the next big habit that that can be really detrimental, so you can be very careful about this one, is practicing alone. So remember that you are your own worst critic. So when you practice alone, especially if you're in front of a mirror, you're going to nitpick every single thing that you do wrong. You're going to be overly critical of yourself. And in addition, when you practice alone, you're not going to get any of the feedback from the audience to tell you how well that you're communicating. So a better way to practice is to practice with a friend or a coworker. So this is where people go, whoa, 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 Doug, 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 wait, 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 wait a minute. You just said that friends and coworkers are terrible coaches. So now you want us to practice with them? Okay, yes, the verbal feedback that friends and coworkers give us can have a negative result. So if somebody says, "Hey, you need to do this," or gives you tips, you got to realize that your 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 coworkers and your friends most of the time are not going to be professional speakers. They're not going to be. They don't do this for a living. So sometimes the advice that they give you may may actually backfire on you. However. The visual feedback that you get from them is vital to understanding how well that you're communicating. So when I say visual feedback, when we communicate with someone and they nod their head as we speak, basically we're getting a visual cue that we have communicated effectively. 
So when we say something that is confusing, the opposite will happen. We'll see that on the face of the listener. They'll, they'll go, hmm, you know, give you, a, give you that, that weird kind of face. So those visual cues actually allows us to, to, the, to make appropriate adjustments to our speech. So, um, the, by the way, and, and if, if, so when you see that, you'll make that adjustment. And when you get up in front of the group for, the, for real, you will have, you'll remember that, okay, this is how I said it before and it worked out really well. These are some of the things I said that were confusing. So I'm going to clarify that a little bit better. You just don't make those adjustments when you're practicing by yourself because when you will hear yourself speak, you think you're very clear. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of like practicing a bad golf swing alone you know if you go out and practice a bad golf swing over and over and over again then you know the, the old saying is that practice makes perfect but that's that isn't really true practice makes permanent so if you practice a bad golf swing over and over and over again you're going to get really really good at a bad golf swing and if you practice a presentation alone you're going to get really really good at delivering a bad presentation or yeah at least there there's a potential for that anyway so so it's better to practice once or twice with at least one person listening to you and you'll be able to make the appropriate adjustments to the presentation to to make to increase your your communication somewhat all right so the the next to last thing that we're going to cover the next the next to last tip is one that can can be very devastating so be very careful about this one as well so in addition to practicing by yourself one of the worst things that you can do is make a video of you presenting that presentation and then reviewing it all by yourself remember you're your own worst critic so if you video your presentation you will take everything that we just talked about in the previous couple of minutes about about uh, practicing alone in front of a mirror and you're going to intensify it exponentially so many of my competitors believe that Watching yourself on video is really a key to better presentations. However, I found the uh, the exact opposite to be true. Remember, everything they ever learned about public speaking is wrong. This is one of those things. When most people see themselves on video, they're often more critical uh, than than even when they practice alone. You know, because I mean, we're actually we see visual proof now that we stink at this thing, right? So it can be very challenging. And I'll give you an, an example. When I was a kid. Um, we used to actually have cassette recorders. I mean, it tells you how old I am. I'm an old guy. So cassette cassette players, you know, we could record. I remember my brother and I would record songs off of the radio so that we wouldn't have to buy them from the, from the record store. And so we thought that it would be fun to pretend to be disc jockeys in between the songs. And I remember hearing my voice for the first time, you know, hearing myself as the, as the pretend disc jockey and thinking, oh, my God, who's that little girl speaking? You know, so, so my voice, when I heard it on the tape, was totally different from what I heard in my head and you'll likely do the same when you when you have you'll likely most likely you have a negative reaction when you watch yourself on video so be very careful about that now we do use some videotape feedback or video feedback in the fearless presentations classes however our instructors are trained to point out that the things that we're doing right or that the speakers are doing right so our instructors are constantly pointing out what a class member is doing well throughout that entire video review so when you review your videos alone you don't get that positive feedback so just like in the previous tip basically you want to practice once or twice with at least one person live and then and stay away from video feedback unless you have a trained professional coach helping you kind of see the positive all right the last one is one that we're going to spend a little bit more time on because this is the one that is the most challenging to to defeat and it's what psychologists call cognitive dissonance now 
the the this one is it's not as common as any of the earlier ones that we've talked about but it can be the most the absolute most devastating to a person's confidence cognitive dissonance by the way is when a speaker has a success in front of a group at least in public speaking anyway it's where that speaker has a success in front of a group but then believes that it was actually a failure so or it was only it was only a success because blank occurred right or whatever so i mean it's it's basically it's it's disregarding that that um that success that we have and and actually in our head thinking of it as being a failure now um i I came across a great article in psychology today and it was called uh, Steps to Overcome Public Speaking Anxiety. And by the way, if you want to, if you go to the show notes on fearlesspresentations.com, if you're listening to this anytime close to the, um, the, the release date, you can basically just uh, go to fearlesspresentations.com and on every one of the, the, the web pages in the sidebar, it'll give you the most recent blog post. But if you're, if you're looking at this at a, at a later date, the title of this one is Seven Presentation Habits That Cause You to Become a More Nervous Speaker. So if you just type in just a few of those words into the search bar, it'll take you right to the, to the, um, the, the, the notes. But there's a link to that article on the show notes. So um, that basically in that article, the author talked about a student who had an extreme view of his success as a speaker. And according to the article, basically what, this, what the, the writer of the article said was that one of the, the student's core irrational beliefs was that I must do perfectly or else I'm a failure. That is very common, by the way, in public speaking. We think that if we didn't do it exactly right, then it, it just wasn't adequate. It wasn't, it wasn't done well. And um, and in addition to that, this this student also had a, a perception where I must avoid public rejection for an imperfect performance. So this inflexible thinking, because it was so extreme, it, it can it can evoke a, a, an extreme public speaking anxiety. And a lot of times we'll see folks that that are coming to the fearless presentations class that will have something similar happen to where where they they're they're we've got in our heads that it has to be perfect otherwise I, I just didn't do very well and so they may do very well in front of a group and in reality think that they they didn't do very well so i mean it's it's one of those the big challenges so i see so i see this a lot um one of the techniques that we use in the fearless presentations though to make sure that the students has a, have a series of successful presentations as we coach that part. You know, we coach each one of these folks that are coming through to make sure that when they get up to speak in front of a group, they sit down knowing that they've they've accomplished something, that they had a success. So we start and the way that we do that by the way is we start with something really, really simple. And then as each when each presenter kind of nails that first speech, we make the presentation a little bit more difficult. And then they nail that one too, because that's just a little bit harder than the last one. Then we add something more difficult and they nail that one too. So and we do that over and over and over. So by the end of the first day, most often, each one of the presenters will have gained a tremendous amount of confidence speaking in front of a group. That's why the class works so well. It, this process works because, you know, every time we have a success, the risk of failure in future presentations drops pretty significantly. So the, the next time I get up to speak, I'm more likely to succeed because look at the last five times that I got up, I, I, I had a pretty good success. So the, a challenge occurs though when the speaker has a success, but the self-image that that person has actually views that success as an actual failure. So mentally it sounds like, eh, okay, I did okay, but 
and then whatever comes after the but will diminish the the success that that confidence had as a speaker. So it might sound something like, well, I did okay, but I don't really know any of these people, so I won't do nearly as well when I speak in front of my coworkers. Or I did okay, but this is a class, so the audience wasn't as tough as as the audience I have to speak to. Or I did okay, but this group is really small, and I won't do as well when I get in front of a bigger group. Or I did okay, but this audience is really nice, and my audiences are very mean. So whatever it is, we we see that activity that we've done we had we had the success but we see it as a failure because things um things are different you know so regardless of what your butt is it can be very destructive i've seen people come through my classes and have a tremendous success speaking in front of a group and as soon as they finish i'll compliment them and after and as i'm kind of telling them what they did well i can see the person's subtle kind of head shake back and forth which mentally I can see in their head, they're saying, no, that's not true. No, that's not true. So even though I'm telling them something I saw that they did really well, they're negating that with the negative self-talks. In some cases, other class members will actually see that reaction. They see that little head going back and forth, and they'll jump in and give additional compliments, uh, and which is great. You know, That's one of the, the nice things about being in a class like that. But it, it, and for some people, though, it can be very challenging to accept that this is that this is true. So this all or nothing, or um, it, it's got to be perfect, or it's a failure mentality. It can be a thick wall that is difficult to penetrate. So as an instructor, I often just continue to coach the participant so that he or she can have more and more successes. And most often, you know, eventually the person will begin to see that the presentations that he or she has been giving in the class are are just. The things that they've already done are just head and shoulders above what they've seen other people outside of the classroom do. And so they they start to see themselves, especially in in other areas of the business world, that kind of thing. So when that happens, it's like a dam breaking. Once they kind of see that, you know what, that was good. All it takes is that realization. And and all of a sudden, a clarity comes over this person that is is pretty dramatic. I I refer to this moment as, I, I call this the sixth sense moment, you know, sixth sense moment so if you ever saw the movie the uh, bruce willis movie the i see dead people um at the at the very end of it there's a, a realization that is very dramatic and all of a sudden bruce willis the character in the in the movie has a series of flashbacks and each one of those flashbacks that seem to be something very obvious earlier in the movie were actually much different in reality once you kind of see them from a different perspective. And and when that moment is achieved, the confidence in, in a person really grows very, very quickly because they start to see that those times before that they had discounted their success were actually failures. And they, holy cow, that was a, that was a, I'm sorry, that was that the, the successes that they had were actually, um, they, dis, they discounted them as failures and they were actually true successes. Once they see that, oh my God, that was a success and that was a, that was a success and that was a success. So when you see that happening, when I see that happening as a, as a coach or as a presentation trainer, it's, I mean, that's, that's, that means the world to us. That's one of those things that, that are really, really beneficial to us and, the, and to the, the class members. So if you think that you're experiencing any type of form, even if it's a minor form of cognitive, cognitive dissidence, then I would really encourage you to register for one of 
of our, our two-day Fearless Presentations classes. You can do that on fearlesspresentations.com because it, that, that, this kind of thing can be very difficult to overcome without some type of, of outside help. So, so if you find yourself falling into any of these traps, there is help. You know, there's, there's a few things that you can do. Um, the first thing that you can do, that, which is simple and easy, if you go to fearlesspresentations.com, go to the, 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 the podcast notes, at the very bottom, there's a link that will take you to a free handout. It'll, it's got some details in, in a very summary kind of format of these seven things and, and, a, and a key tip on how to avoid that. You can also subscribe to the podcast. So the more that you're listening on a consistent basis to the stuff that we're talking about on the Fearless Presentations podcast, the easier it is to overcome some of these things and to create new habits, replace these old habits with new habits. But absolutely the best way to fix these challenges significantly and to reduce public speaking fear is to attend one of our Fearless Presentations classes. And you can do that by just going to fearlesspresentations.com. So make sure to do one of those things, if not all of them. And if you do, you're going to help reduce that nervousness pretty dramatically. So we'll see you next week on the Fearless Presentations podcast. to this podcast for new public speaking secrets each week.